1: Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's
0: rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you
1: get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading The Black Arrow, Book 5, Chapters 3 and 4, by Robert Louis Stevenson. In the last chapter, Richard Shelton and the Duke of Gloucester painstakingly gained the
0: upper hand in the Battle of Shorby. In tonight's story, Richard Shelton goes on the hunt for Joanna.
1: If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath and settle your body whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. CHAPTER THREE THE BATTLE OF SHORBY Dick, once more left to his own counsels,
0: began to look about him. The arrow shot had somewhat slackened. On all sides the enemy were falling back, and the greater part of the marketplace was now left empty. The snow here trampled into orange mud, there splashed with gore scattered all over with dead men and horses, and bristling thick with feathered arrows. On his own side, the loss had been cruel. The jaws of the little street and the ruins of the barricade were heaped with the dead and dying, and out of the hundred men with whom he had begun the battle, there were not seventy left who could still stand to arms. At the same time, the day was passing. The first reinforcements might be looked for to arrive at any moment, and the Lancastrians, already shaken by the result of their desperate but unsuccessful onslaught, were in an ill temper to support a fresh invader. There was a dial in the wall of one of the two flanking houses, and this, in the frosty winter sunshine, indicated ten of the forenoon. Dick turned to the man who was at his elbow, a little insignificant archer binding a cut in his arm. And by my sooth, they will not charge us twice. Sir, said the little archer, ye have fought right well for York, and better for yourself. Never hath man in so brief space prevailed so greatly on the duke's affections. That he should have entrusted such a post to one he knew not is a marvel. But look to your head, Sir Richard. If ye be vanquished, ay, if ye give way one foot's breadth, axe or cord shall punish it. And I am set, if ye do aught doubtful, I will tell you honestly, here to stab you from behind. Dick looked at the little man in amaze. You he cried, from behind. "'It is right so,' returned the archer. "'And because I like not the affair, I tell you it, "'you must make the good post, Sir Richard, at your peril. "'Oh, our crookback back is a bold blade and a good warrior, "'but, whether in cold blood or in heart, "'he will have all things done to his exact commandment.' If any fail or hinder, they shall die the death. Now, by the saints, cried Richard, is it so, and will men follow such a leader? Nay, they follow him gleefully, replied the other, for if he be exact to punish, he is most open-handed to reward. And if he spare not the blood and sweat of others, he is ever liberal of his own still in the first front of battle, still the last to sleep. He will go far, will crook back dick a Gloucester. The young knight, if he had before been brave and vigilant, was now all more inclined to watchfulness and courage. His sudden favour, he began to perceive, had brought perils in its train, and he turned from the archer, and once more scanned anxiously the marketplace. It lay empty as before. I like not this quietude, he said. Doubtless they prepare us some surprise. And, as if in answer to his remark, the archers began once more to advance against the barricade, and the arrows to fall thick. But there was something hesitating in the attack. They came not on roundly, but seemed rather to await a further signal. Dick looked uneasily about him, spying for a hidden danger, and sure enough, about half way up the little street, a door was suddenly opened from within, and the house continued, for some seconds, and both by door and window, to disgorge a torrent of Lancastrian archers. These, As they leaped down, hurriedly stood to their ranks, bent their bows, and proceeded to pour upon Dick's rear a flight of arrows. At the same time, the assailants in the marketplace redoubled their shot and began to close in stoutly upon the barricade. Dick called down to his whole command out of the houses and facing them both ways and encouraging their valour both by word and gesture, returned as best he could the double shower of shafts that fell about his post. Meanwhile, house after house was opened in the street, and the Lancastrians continued to pour out of the doors and leap down from the windows, shouting victory, until the number of enemies upon Dick's rear was almost equal to the number in his face. It was plain that he could hold the post no longer. What was worse, even if he could have held it, it has now become useless, and the whole Yorkist army lay in a posture of helplessness upon the brink of a complete disaster. The men behind him formed the vital floor in the general defense, and it was upon these that Dick turned, charging at the head of his men. So vigorous was the attack that the Lancastrian archers gave ground and staggered, and, at last, breaking their ranks, began to crowd back into the houses from which they had so recently and so vaingloriously sallied. Meanwhile, the men from the marketplace had swarmed across the undefended barricade and fell on hotly upon the other side, and Dick must once again face about and proceed to drive them back. Once again the spirit of his men prevailed. They cleared the street in a triumphant style, but even as they did so the others issued again out of the houses and took them a third time upon the rear. The Yorkists began to be scattered. Several times Dick found himself alone among his foes and plying his bright sword for life. Several times he was conscious of a hurt. And meanwhile, the fight swayed to and fro in the street without determinate result. Suddenly Dick was aware of a great trumpeting about the outskirts of the town. The war cry of York began to be rolled up to heaven, as by many and triumphant voices. And at the same time the men in front of him began to give ground rapidly, streaming out of the street and back upon the marketplace. Someone gave the word to fly. Trumpets were blown distractedly, some for a rally, some to charge. It was plain that a great blow had been struck, and the Lancastrians were thrown, at least for the moment, into full disorder and some degree of panic. And then, like a theatre trick, followed the last act of Shawby Battle. The men in front of Richard turned tail like a dog that has been whistled home and fled to the wind. At the same moment, there came through the marketplace a storm of horsemen, fleeing and pursuing, the Lancastrians turning back to strike with the sword, the Yorkists riding them down at the point of the lance. Conspicuous in the melee, Dick beheld the crook back. He was already giving a foretaste of that furious valour and skill to cut his way across the ranks of war, which, years afterwards upon the field of Bosworth, and when he was stained with crimes, almost sufficed to change the fortunes of the day and the destiny of the English throne. Evading, striking, Riding down, he so forced and so manoeuvred his strong horse, so aptly defended himself, and so liberally scattered death to his opponents, that he was now far ahead of the foremost of his knights, hewing his way, with the truncheon of a bloody sword, to where Lord Risingham was rallying the bravest. A moment more, and they had met, the tall, splendid, and famous warrior against the deformed and sickly boy. Yet Shelton had never a doubt of the result, and when the fight was next opened for a moment, the figure of the Earl had disappeared. But still, in the first of the danger, Crookback Dick was launching his big horse and plying the truncheon of his sword. Thus, by Shelton's courage in holding the mouth of the street against the first attack, and by the opportune arrival of his seven hundred reinforcements, the lad, who was afterwards to be handed down to the extraction of posterity under the name
1: of Richard III, had won his first considerable fight. Chapter 4 The Sack of Shawby There was not a foe left within striking distance,
0: and Dick, as he looked ruefully about him on the remainder of his gallant force, began to count the cost of victory. He was himself, now that the danger was ended, so stiff and sore, so bruised and cut and broken, and, above all, so utterly exhausted by his desperate and unremitting labours in the fight that he seemed incapable of any fresh exertion. But this was not yet the hour for repose. Shawby had been taken by assault, and though an open town, and not in any manner to be charged with the resistance, it was plain that these rough fighters would be not less rough now that the fight was over, and that the more horrid part of war would fall to be enacted. Richard of Gloucester was not the captain to protect the citizens from his infuriated soldiery, and even if he had the will, it might be questioned if he had the power. It was, therefore, Dick's business to find and to protect Joanna, and with that end, he looked about him at the faces of his men. The three or four who seemed likeliest to be obedient and to keep sober, he drew aside, and promised them a rich reward and a special recommendation to the Duke, led them across the marketplace, now empty of horsemen, and into the street upon the farther side. Every here and there, small combats of from two to a dozen still raged upon the open street. Here and there, a house was being besieged, the defenders throwing out stalls and tables on the heads of the assailants. The snow was strewn with arms and corpses, but except for these partial combats the streets were deserted and the houses, some standing open and some shuttered and barricaded, had for the most part ceased to give out smoke. Dick, threading the skirts of these skirmishes, led his followers briskly in the direction of the Abbey Church. But when he came the length of the main street, a cry of horror broke from his lips. Sir Daniel's great house had been carried by assault. The gates hung in splinters from the hinges, and a double throng kept pouring in and out through the entrance, seeking and carrying booty. Meanwhile, in the upper stories, some resistance was still being offered to the pillagers. For just as Dick came within eyeshot of the building, a casement was burst upon from within, and a poor wretch in murray and blue, screaming and resisting, was forced through the ambrosia and tossed into the street below. The most sickening apprehension fell upon Dick. He ran forward like one possessed, forced his way into the house among the foremost, and mounted without pause to the chamber on the third floor where he had last parted from Joanna. It was a mere wreck. The furniture had been overthrown, the cupboards broken open, and in one place a trailing corner of a lay smouldering on the embers of the fire. Dick, almost without thinking, trod out the incipient conflagration, and then stood bewildered. Sir Daniel, Sir Oliver, Joanna, all were gone, but whether butchered in the route or safe escaped from Shawby, who could say? He caught a pacing archer by the tabard. Fellow, he asked, were ye here when this house was taken?
1: Let be, said the archer, a moraine, let be or I strike. Hark ye, returned Richard, two can play at that. Stand and be plain.
0: But the man, flushed with drink and battle, struck Dick upon the shoulder with one hand, while with the other he twitched away his garment. Thereupon the full wrath of the young leader burst from his control. He seized the fellow in his strong embrace, and crushed him on the plates of his mailed bosom, like a child. Then, holding him at arm's length, he bid him speak as he valued life. "'I pray you mercy,' gasped the archer. "And I had thought ye were so angry, I would have been chariot of crossing you. I was here indeed.' "'Know ye Sir Daniel,' pursued Dick. "'Well do I know him.' returned the man. Was he in the mansion? Aye, sir, he was, answered the archer. But even as we entered by the yard gate, he rode forth by the garden. Alone, cried Dick. He have had a score o' lances with him, said the man. Lances? No women, then, asked Shelton.
1: Troth, I saw not, said the archer but there were none in the house, if that be your quest.
0: I thank you, said Dick. Here is a piece for your pains. But groping in his wallet, Dick found nothing. Inquire for me tomorrow, he added. Richard Shel, Sir Richard Shelton, he corrected. And I will see you handsomely rewarded. And then an idea struck Dick. He hastily descended to the courtyard, ran with all his might across the garden, and came to the great door of the church. It stood wide open, within every corner of the pavement was crowded with fugitive burghers, surrounded by their families and laden with the most precious of their possessions, while, at the high altar, priests in full conicals were imploring the mercy of God. Even as Dick entered, the loud choir began to thunder in the vaulted roofs. He hurried through the groups of refugees and came to the door of the stair that led into the steeple. And here, a tall churchman stepped before him and arrested his advance. "'Whither, my son?' he asked severely. "'My father,' answered Dick. I'm here upon an errand of expedition stay me not i command here for my lord of gloucester for my lord of gloucester repeated the priest hath then the battle gone so sore the battle father is at an end lancaster clean sped my lord of risingham heaven rest him left upon the field and now with your good leave I follow mine affairs. And thrusting on one side the priest, who seemed stupefied at the news, Dick pushed open the door and rattled up the stairs for at a bound, and without pause or stumble, till he stepped upon the open platform at the top. Shawby Church Tower not only commanded the town, as in a map, but look far on both sides, over sea and land. It was now near upon noon, the day exceeding bright, the snow dazzling, and as Dick looked around him, he could measure the consequences of the battle. A confused, growling uproar reached him from the streets, and now and then, very rarely, the clash of steel. Not a ship, not so much as skiff remained in harbour. But the sea was dotted with sails and rowboats laden with fugitives. On shore, too, the surface of the snowy meadows was broken up with bands of horsemen, some cutting their way towards the borders of the forests, others, who were doubtless of the Yorkist side, stoutly interposing and beating them back upon the town. Over all the open ground, There lay a prodigious quantity of fallen men and horses, clearly defined upon the snow. To complete the picture, those of the foot soldiers as had not found place upon a ship still kept up an archery combat on the borders of the port and from the cover of the shoreside taverns. In that quarter, also, one or two houses had been fired and the smoke towered high in the frosty sunlight, and blew off to the sea in voluminous folds. Already close upon the margin of the woods, and somewhat in line of Hollywood, one particular clump of fleeing horsemen riveted the attention of the young watcher on the tower. It was fairly numerous, in no other quarter of the field did so many Lancastrians still hold together. Thus they had left a wide, discoloured wake upon the snow, and Dick was able to trace them step by step from where they had left the town. While Dick stood watching them, they had gained, unopposed, the first fringe of the leafless forest, and, turning a little from their direction, the sun fell for a moment full on their array, as it was relieved against the dusky wood. Murray and Blue, cried Dick. I swear it, Murray and Blue. The next moment he was descending the stairway. It was now his business to seek out the Duke of Gloucester, who alone, in this disorder of the forces, might be able to supply him with a sufficiency of men. The fighting in the main town was now practically at an end, and as Dick ran hither and thither, Seeking the commander, the streets were thick with wandering soldiers, some laden with more booty than they could well stagger under, others shouting drunk. None of them, when questioned, had the least notion of the Duke's whereabouts, and, at last, it was by sheer fortune that Dick found him, where he sat in the saddle, directing operations to dislodge the archers from the harbour side. Sir Richard Shelton, ye are well found, he said. I owe you one thing that I value little, my life, and one that I can never pay you for, this victory. Catesby, if I had ten such captains as Sir Richard, I would march forthright on
1: London. But now, sir, claim your reward. Freely, my lord, said Dick freely
0: and loudly. One hath escaped to whom I owe some grudges, and taken with him one whom I owe love and service. Give me, then, fifty lances, that I may pursue, and for any obligation that your graciousness is pleased to allow, I shall be clean
1: discharged. How call ye him? inquired the Duke. Sir Daniel Brackley answered Richard. Out upon him, double-face, cried Gloucester.
0: Here is no reward, Sir Richard. Here is fresh service offered, and, if that ye bring this head to me, a fresh debt upon my conscience. Catesby, get him these lances, and you, sir, bethink ye, in the meanwhile, what pleasure, honour, or profit it shall be mine to give you. Just then, the Yorkist skirmishers carried one of the shoreside taverns, swarming in upon it on three sides, and driving out or taking its defenders. Crookback Dick was pleased to cheer the exploit, and pushing his horse a little nearer, called to see the prisoners. There were four or five of them, two men of my Lord Shawby's and one of Lord Risingham's among the number, and last, but in Dick's eyes not least, a tall, shambling, grizzled old shipman, between drunk and sober, and with a dog whimpering and jumping at his heels. The young duke passed them for a moment under a severe review. Good, he said. Hang them. And he turned the other way to watch the progress of the fight. My lord, said Dick, so please you, I have found my reward. Grant me the life and the liberty of yon old shipman. Gloucester turned and looked the speaker in the face. Sir Richard, he said, I make not war with peacock's feathers, but steel shafts. Those that are mine enemies I slay, and that without excuse or favour. for." Bethink ye, in this realm of England, that is so torn in pieces, there is not a man of mine but hath a brother or a friend upon the other party. If, then, I did begin to grant these pardons, I might sheathe my sword. It may be so, my lord, and yet I will be overbold, and, at the risk of your disfavour,
1: recall your lordship's promise replied Dick. Richard of Gloucester flushed. Mark it right well, he said harshly. I love not mercy,
0: nor yet mercy mongers. Ye have this day laid the foundation of high fortune. If ye oppose to me my word, which I have plighted, I will yield. But by the glory of heaven, there your favour dies. Mine is the loss, said Dick. Give him his sailor, said the duke, and wheeling his horse, he turned his back upon young Shelton. Dick was nor glad nor sorry. He had seen too much of the young duke to set great store on his affection, and the origin and growth of his own favour had been too flimsy and too rapid to inspire much confidence. One thing alone he feared, that the vindictive leader might revoke the offer of the lances. But here he did justice, neither to Gloucester's honour, such as it was, nor, above all, to his decision. If he had once judged Dick to be the right man to pursue Sir Daniel, he was not one to change, and he soon proved it by shouting after Catsby to be speedy for the paladin was waiting. In the meanwhile, Dick turned to the old shipman, who had seemed equally indifferent to his condemnation and to his subsequent release. Ah, blaster, said Dick, I have done you ill, but now, by the road, I think I have cleared the score. But the old skipper only looked upon him dully and held his peace. Come, continued Dick, a life is a life, old true, and it is more than a ship's or liquor. Say ye forgive me, for if your life be worth nothing to you, it hath cost me the beginnings of my fortune. Come, I have paid for it dearly, be not so curlish. And I had had my ship, said Arblaster, I would have been forth and safe from the high sea and I, my man Tom, but ye took my ship, gossip, and I'm a beggar, and for my man Tom, a knave fellow in russet shot him down. Moraine, quoth he, and spake never again. Moraine was the last of his words, and the poor spirit of him passed. A will never sail no more, will my Tom. Dick was seized with unavailing penitence and pity. He sought to take the skipper's hand, but our blaster avoided his touch. Nay, said he, let be. You have played the devil with me, and let that content you. The words died in Richard's throat. He saw, through tears, the poor old man, bemused with liquor and sorrow go shambling away with bowed head across the snow and the unnoticed dog whimpering at his heels and for the first time began to understand the desperate game that we play in life and how a thing once done is not to be changed or redeemed by any penitence. But there was no time left to him for vain regret. Catsby had now collected the horseman and riding up to Dick, he dismounted, and offered him his own horse. This morning, he said, I was somewhat jealous of your favour. It hath not been a long growth, and now, Sir Richard, it is with a very good heart that I offer you this horse to ride away with. Suffer me yet a moment, replied Dick. This favour of mine, whereupon was it founded? Upon your name, answered Catsby, it is my lord's chief superstition. Were my name Richard,
1: I should be an earl tomorrow. Well, sir, I thank you, returned Dick, and since I
0: am little likely to follow these great fortunes, I will even say farewell. I will not pretend I was displeased to think myself upon the road to fortune but I will not pretend neither that I am over-sorry to be done with it. Command and riches, they are brave things to be sure, but a word in your ear, yon duke of yours, he is a fearsome lad. Catsby laughed. Nay, said he, of a verity he that rides with crooked dick will ride deep. Well, God keep us all from evil. Speed ye well. Thereupon, Dick put himself at the head of his men, and giving the word of command, rode off. He made straight across the town, following what he supposed to be the route of Sir Daniel, and spying around for any signs that might decide if he were right. The streets were strewn with the dead and the wounded, whose fate, in the bitter frost, was far the more pitiable. Gangs of the victors went from house to house, pillaging and stabbing, and sometimes singing together as they went. From different quarters, as he rode on, the sounds of violence and outrage came to young Shelton's ears. Now the blows of the sledgehammer on some barricaded door, and now the miserable shrieks of women. Dick's heart had just been awakened. He had just seen the cruel consequences of his own behaviour, and the thought of the sum of misery that was now acting in the whole of Shawby filled him with despair. At length he reached the outskirts, and there, sure enough, he saw straight before him the same broad, beaten track across the snow that he had marked from the summit of the church. Here, then, He went the faster on, but still, as he rode, he kept a bright eye upon the fallen men and horses that lay beside the track. Many of these, he was relieved to see, wore Sir Daniel's colours, and the faces of some, who lay upon their back, he even recognised. About halfway between the town and the forest, those whom he was following had plainly been assailed by archers for the corpses lay pretty closely scattered, each pierced by an arrow. And here Dick spied among the rest of the bodies, a very young lad whose face was somehow hauntingly familiar to him.
1: He halted his troops, dismounted, and raised the lad's head. As he did so, the hood fell back,
0: and a profusion of long brown hair unrolled itself. At the same time, the eyes opened. Ah, lion driver, said a feeble voice. She is farther on.
1: Ride, ride fast. And then the poor young lady fainted once again. One of Dick's
0: men carried a flask of some strong cordial, and with this, Dick succeeded in reviving consciousness. Then he took Johanna's friend upon his saddle-bow, and once more pushed towards the forest. Why do you take me? said the girl. Ye but delay your speed. Nay, Mistress Risingham, replied Dick. Shawby is full of blood and drunkenness and riot. Here ye are safe, content ye. I will not be bolden to any of your factions, she cried set me down. Madame. ye know not what ye say, returned Dick. Ye are hurt. I am not, she said. It was my horse that was slain. It matters not one jot, replied Richard. Ye are here in the midst of open snow, and compassed about with enemies. Whether ye will or not, I carry you with me. Glad I am to have the occasion, for thus I shall repay some portion of our debt. For a little while she was silent.
1: Then, very suddenly, she asked, My uncle. My Lord Risingham, returned Dick. I would
0: I had good news to give you, madam, but I have none. I saw him
1: once in the battle, and once only. Let us hope the best.